This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is my co-host, Brian Rinaldi. How you doing, Brian? I'm good. Coming from very, very stormy Orlando, Florida. Um, so if you hear banging behind me while I speak, or my dog goes crazy, it's because it's, there's lightning and thunder going on like mad here. I just add to the ambience of the show. It's all good. Yeah, ominous. Yeah, <laughs> it'll fit the uh, the October uh, the upcoming holiday anyway. Yeah, there you go. So we're do- <laughs> yeah right. Um, we're we're dressed up in costume too. Just nobody can tell because it's a podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so we're doing another Teller Developer Digest show where we kind of talk about. Uh, news industry news stuff that we're doing and all that great stuff so uh we'll we'll be talking a little bit about some events that we did uh we have quite a few white papers that we've released over the last month or so that are really good and those are free and we'll we'll chat about those a bit um and then we have some upcoming events that we're going to be either attending or hosting uh, that would be uh, great for anybody in the audience to uh, sign up and, and watch those events or come out and see us live uh, if you're in the area. So uh, that's our show agenda for today. So let's let's kick things off with what we've been up to event-wise. Brian, uh, you had a huge event we talked about on the last show, uh, Script uh, Developer Day. Yeah, it was um, – I, I uh, am still physically recovering from that one. Because you know it's a it's a whole different story when you're run, you you know you've helped run events. I mean, in this one I I decided I was going to run by myself, um, so it was a lot, um, but it went really really well. We had um, we had like a hundred and twenty between one hundred and twenty and hundred fifty people, which given that you know NativeScript is a very new product, um, you know new community. Uh, it, I was impressed by how many people we got. <clears throat> so anyway, all the sessions were, were really good. So if you missed it and you're interested, uh, we should be posting on our YouTube channel very soon. Um, they're being edited right now, all the videos of all the sessions. So you can catch up on it if you missed it. Um, but it, yeah, so went, every went fantastic. Every session got recorded? Every single session got recorded, yes. Oh, there was only one track, so it was easy to, to do that. <laughs> yeah, but that's great content to have to put on YouTube, and everybody can go check those videos out when they're ready. Yeah, you can go. You can watch Burke ramble on for too long and throw me completely off schedule. <laughs> uh, nothing like a good Burke rant. <laughs> So, uh, what type of set? Uh, what types of sessions did we have around Native Script? Uh, there was all different kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, we, it wasn't just Native Script. We had sessions about you know using Office three sixty five with Native Script and and uh, you know test driven development with Native Script and so on. Um, but we also had straight Angular two sessions, and we had a, a friend of mine, Raymond Kim, then give one more. It was more like inspirational, like why kind of why now is an awesome time to be a programmer 
looking back at, at his history of programming and how things have changed now uh, and all the opportunities offered by things like NativeScript, but not just NativeScript. So it was it was really good. Yeah, I'll have to check out that uh, test-driven development one. That sounds interesting. We just did a show um, last week with Guy Royce uh, talking about TDD. So um like to kind of keep up with some more of that stuff. I've been out of the loop for a little while, so I can't wait to see that. Yeah, yeah, it was a good talk. That was Nathaniel Anderson. Um, you know, he, he covered a lot of testing tools and stuff for NativeScript, which, you know, given that you're testing mobile apps, has some additional complexity than, say, straight web app. And uh, we also had several folks out at uh, Angular Connect. Uh, that was in, in London. Is that correct, Ryan? Right. Yeah. Jen Looper was there. Todd Motto was there. Uh, a giant uh, can, uh, ninja in a Kendoku. Or, well, we always say ninja, but it's not really ninja. Right. Um, the Kendoku uh, yeah, outfit. The, Yes, it was, but it, it was, was like, more of like a cartoony one, right? Yeah, yeah. He was it looked like you know this giant balloony looking uh, ninja. Anyway, very interesting. But yeah, I heard it went went really really well, um, I, and I heard great things about that conference. So looking forward to that happening again in the future. Anyway, so yeah, that one went really well. That's that just ended. So. Um, in fact, Jen went straight from London to Paris Web. So lucky Jen is doing a tour of Europe. I'm sure she's loving it. That's uh, that's one of her favorite things to go over yeah. there and, yeah. and be in Europe. So I'm sure she's loving it. And a lot of people were coming out and showing their love for Angular uh, with the Angular 2 release just happening about a month ago. Uh, there's a lot of people there at the conference and excited to hear about different ways to use Angular 2 and I heard it went really well. Yeah, yeah. I I heard I heard that too. And yet it's only been two weeks. Feels like a month already, but yeah, it's only oh, been two it. weeks since they since they released Angular 2. Which I guess kinda... when you're working with it it feels like a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a bit of a learning curve there. So I've been dealing with that. Uh, I think I'm finally past it. Um trying to get some uh integrations working with ASP.NET Core, which has been a bit tricky. Uh, there's a lot of moving pieces to that puzzle. So you've got um, ASP.NET yeah. Core evolving and Angular, finally RTMing. So that's not so much of a moving target anymore. Um, and then we released um, Kendo UI for Angular 2, which is in beta. And uh, you will know how betas are. They're Again, always changing, always moving. So mm -hmm. I've got all these different things that want to update all the time and break stuff. And we're getting that all settled down so people can just jump right in and get started with uh, without any of that friction. So I get to be yeah. the um, the beta tester, uh, you know, user that gets to find all the bugs and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's not easy living on the cutting edge, is it? No. <laughs> well, it's fun, though. It's fun, right? Challenging. Fun, challenging but fun. If it wasn't challenging, then it would it wouldn't be a good good fit for me. I'd be bored. <laughs> yep. Uh, so lots of fun stuff there, anyway. And um, and, and you're got, in New York City coming up. Yeah, I've got an event coming up. I'll be in New York City. I get to talk about one of my favorite uh, technologies, and that's SAS, and that's uh, the CSS preprocessor, not uh, like software as a service, but uh, yep styling of web pages and stuff like that. So 
I have a fun talk that I give that shows like a project that's been written in CSS and then you refactor that project out so it's like a nice themable style and everything's broken down into CSS or SAS components and modules and you've got this like component-based styling system. Uh, everybody loves component talk these days, so uh, taking it from the designer point of view and and mm -hmm. showing developers how to write reusable style components. Um, so that, that'll be a great talk. Uh, I've got another one on prototyping and building uh, responsive web applications using uh, wireframe prototypes right in the browser, and uh, that's always a fun talk as well. So I'll be in New York Times Square giving that talk next week. Or, awesome. Uh, yeah, it's I'll, almost I'll next week. So next, next weekend, actually. So October... Um, seventh uh that saturday or oh. eighth actually so wow that's cool i'll be in yeah, toronto but that's early next week for web unleashed and i'm i'm kind of like you i'm i'm not talking specifically telerik stuff i'm talking jekyll my favorite jekyll <laughs> so it's just cool. uh how to get started with jekyll kind of kind of talking why if you're going with static, static sites why I think just go with Jekyll is the easy way, the best way to go. Yeah, I just got my blog up and running on uh, Jekyll, and um, it it was um, an interesting experience. Let's just say that um, I, I had to get used to the the templating in uh, Jekyll, and I'm extremely used to like server side rendering and templates. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I wrote this uh, piece of. Uh, code that would take all of my speaking sessions out of uh, I don't remember if it was front matter or a, a JSON file or something but it would yeah. Yeah, load all of my sessions in um, using mm -hmm. Jekyll templates and the object was supposed to be uh, if the event was up and coming it would be in an upcoming column and if it was passed it would go in a past column uh, but what I failed to to remember is that Jekyll is a static site generator. So in order for that to actually work correctly, <laughs> yeah. I would have to recompile the site yeah. like yeah. every hour or something to keep it up to date or at least once a day. Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't up to that and I ended up having to just scrap the whole thing and rewrite it in, um, in pure JavaScript instead. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things you kind of get, you know, those uh, little tricks you got to get used to. There are like calendar widgets and things that you could have used that you can plug into static site that might have solved that. Um, but, you know, sometimes you have less control over the look and feel of that. Yeah. I just, I can't believe like the, the epic fail on my part was getting it completely done and after <laughs> all the debugging and stuff I did and then going, Okay, oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna publish this, and then when I published it, I went, "Oh, it's never gonna update." <laughs> like, duh. what are you, you know, doing? Yeah, you can you can. There's also services that um, you can you can use that would allow you to kind of set a, a schedule to republish it every so often. You know, so that might have been an option, but you'd have to. Most of those are not free services, so you'd have to pay for something. Um, to kind of be able to set up a schedule to republish it, say, every day automatically. Yeah, this is the internet we're talking about. Everything's supposed to be free, Brian. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's still, look, 
It's, well, gone are the days when I started out where I was paying 60 bucks a month for hosting. That was ridiculous. But now it's like most half the time you don't even have to pay for hosting. So, you know. That's a topic for an entire show, I think. We should, yeah. I don't know if we should talk, tackle that one or not, but. Yeah, uh, we should really move on. Let's yeah, move. let's move on to um, uh, Burke's article about Angular. Uh, Burke wrote an article called We've Seriously Underestimated Angular 2. What's the summary of that one, Brian? So, yeah, actually, it was, we've seriously underestimated Angular. He doesn't specifically cite Angular 2, but it is a lot about Angular 2. And just essentially his argument is that, you know, we hear a lot of hype about other frameworks, React, um, and it, it makes you kind of misunderstand the numbers. And if you actually look at the numbers, Angular is still huge. And that Angular being Angular 1 and 2. To yet a lot of those people are still on Angular 1, but Ang even Angular 2's numbers are actually really, really big. Um, and if even they get only a portion of those developers to move over, it's still going to be one of the you know uh, largest frameworks out there. And a lot of companies don't are already set on using Angular, and they're already planning to transition Angular to... You know, one of the things I, I find interesting is and I've had a number number of talks about like with people who work at large companies about this, it's, and it le it ties into one of his points, which is that you know I, when I worked at a big financial company, for instance, we had to go through this big approval process to get um, to get it, to be able to use something like say an Angular, right? So you had to submit it and go do all this paperwork, and it had to go through this evaluation period, and it, it could take seven eight months to get something approved. And once it was approved, though, you could keep using it and keep upgrading it. And it doesn't, nobody at the company ever really considered, well, Angular 1 and Angular 2 don't really, aren't really the same, right? Like, they're completely different in their approaches in, in many senses. I mean, Angular has kind of moved with 1.5 closer to what Angular 2 is, but still, a real, as you said, there's a big learning curve to move to Angular 2. Um, but from a big enterprise standpoint, it's just one to two, right? And yeah. there's no, I don't have to go through reapproving Angular to get to move to Angular 2. Whereas if I were to say go to React or some other framework, um, then I have to go through the whole process again just to get, just to do that whole move, even though it, it might be just as significant a move from, in terms of effort to move from one angular one to angular two as it would be to move to something else right yeah, so there's a lot of like built-in momentum that's going to make sure that angular two is still a success even if it's not as seriously dominant as it was the first time around yeah because to managers and c-levels it's like oh these two things have the same name just mm -hmm. run with it uh, to developers it's a whole other ball of wax let's <laughs> just say that um, it, it's a good system. Once you get Angular 2 up and running, it's really convenient. Uh, it's very intuitive. Um, it's the getting it up and running part that right now is a little difficult. Um, that that will get better with time. So we'll get you know templates and uh, you know quick start guides and all kinds of stuff built for it. Whether it's the community or or folks like us. Um, and that learning curve will come down quite a bit. So I think the, the early adopters are the ones that may suffer the most. 
Um, but at the end of the day, uh, Angular 2 actually is a really good framework for building applications. Um, so in a lo- long term, it'll be a good move for folks. Yeah, and I mean, you accept that. If you're an early adopter, you accept that pain, you know? Mm-hmm. It's the same even with, with with software as much as hardware, right? Like you buy first generation of any even hardware products, you're usually in for a little bit of a of a rough run at first. You know what's really rough? I heard that iPhone users for the first seven generations of having an iPhone had to, had to put up with this little port on the bottom that you plug physical headphones into. I don't know. I, know, I don't know how they did it. <laughs> I don't know. I all I know is is that. Um, apparently you can drill a hole into the new one to make it to backwards compatible. I can't believe people fell for that. Oh no. Yeah, seriously. Somebody posted that as a, I don't know if you caught that story. Somebody posted as like kind of a parody video where they were showing how you could drill a hole in the, in your iPhone seven to make it, you know, backwards compatible. That's almost as bad as the one where people were, I think it was the, uh, it was like a 4chan joke or something. They they said that you could put your iPhone in the microwave to charge it, <laughs> and people were trying it out. And yep. Let's just say it turned out bad. <laughs> yeah. Do do we need to state the obvious there? Yeah, uh, that's crazy. But uh, anyway, that all relates to Angular completely. Oh, yeah, somehow. <laughs> uh, because components and dependency injection. Yes. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> um, so let's move on a little bit. We we have a lot of really great content that we produce, and I'm not trying to just like pat ourselves, uh, uh, progress and uh, the DevRel team on the back, but uh, we, we really do put out some really good free content uh, for people to go download from our website. And we've lately been just like knocking out these uh, really awesome white papers, and I don't. I don't even like the word white paper because to me that, that implies so like yeah. I, I picture this like drab document that's very dull and boring to read, and I wish we would call them ebooks. Um, but there, I don't know. There's some literary thing that I'm missing that we we can't do that. But yeah, well, and I would I will say having come from from other companies that did these kind of. They were usually boring. Ours are not boring, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying that just because we're, because I, you know, work for the company. But ours are are typically not written in the way that that a typical white paper is. These are more like the articles or ebooks, like you said. So, but you know, if you got a white paper like when I was at Adobe, that white paper was excruciatingly boring. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it has something to do with like the number of pages or something like that, but. To move on, it's uh, these are great little ebooks um, or white papers, however you want to look at it, with um, lots of great illustrations and um, fun to read uh, pieces. And uh, we have three of them that we've completed in the last month or so that are are just really phenomenal. Um, one of those is kind of a mashup of several authors, including myself and Sam Basu. Um, John Bristow and I believe Cody Lindley is in there as well. Uh, but this is a, a white paper that tackles the uh, command line interface. So um, you'll, you'll get a little bit of the history in the white paper, but I'll, I'll give you my my version of it. Um, 
from my personal experience. And it was like, you know, I was growing up with computers and we had DOS, right? There, there was nothing other than a command line. And then Windows came out and kind of changed the GUI. And uh, the programming languages and stuff started getting visual as well. So we had visual, uh, visual C++ and visual basic and C sharp and uh, visual studio comes out and the command line starts getting abstracted away and away and away. And eventually it's, it's kind of, you know, not used as much, uh, especially in the windows platform. Um, but it seems to be coming back full circle, right? I think coming back is, is understating it. It came back already. It's yeah. now, everything is, it seems like now is, is a command line tool of some sort or another. And yeah. if, if you're not offering command line tool, developers aren't that interested. Yeah, I think developers um, have re realized that uh, there's a lot of power in scripting and uh, running these tools and and being able to just hack away at something on the command line and then you know create setup tasks and tear down tasks and uh, just automate a lot of things you can't do or have a more difficult time doing through a GUI tool. Um, so we wrote a white paper that kind of outlines all of these things, a little bit of the history, a uh, little bit of how-tos, and uh, kind of shares like some tooling that's out there to not only make your command line experience better, but uh, to help you create applications. And it's just a great read. There's lots of good stuff in there. Um, so that's a great white paper to check out. If you have the time, it's at telerik.com slash white paper, uh, white papers with an S. Yeah, telerik.com slash white papers. We'll throw that in the show notes as well. Um, and, and it kind of segues into another white paper. So, you know, we talked about the command line uh, resurgence, but there's been like this cross-platform resurgence too, where everybody is interested in their software running everywhere and on everything and be able to de develop on any kind of platform uh, using um, text editors or Visual Studio or whatever, you know, Sublime Text, whatever it may be. Um, and John Bristow put together a great white paper about SharePoint. Uh, so when you think of SharePoint, you don't immediately think of things like Grunt and Gulp and JavaScript ecosystems, right? Mm, no. Yeah, I, I think of my experience like 10, 12 years ago with this ASP.NET Web Forms 1 or 2.0 <laughs> era yeah. stuff where uh, you have this gigantic kludge, and uh, at least that's the way it felt to me. Uh, I may be a little biased on that. I didn't no, no, I, I, I hear you. It, but... I was. I remember one time I was going to a conference. I don't remember where. And I got on the plane, and the guy, one guy's like, "Oh, are you are you headed to the SharePoint conference?" And I'm like, uh, "No." He's like, "Oh, everybody on this plane's headed to the SharePoint conference." And I remember thinking to myself, "That's so sad." <laughs> <laughs> but but it definitely has changed. I've read I've read. We've had a number of articles, even on TDN, on this topic, and I have a bunch more coming. I mean, it's just. Um, it's, it's a dramatic shift 
for SharePoint developers and, and, you know, they're having to kind of change the way they work and, and learn a lot of new tools. But, you know, at least the people who are writing these articles are very excited about it. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's now, you can't look at SharePoint developers who are doing this stuff and be like, okay, you don't understand modern web technologies or anything because they are using them. Yeah, so the white paper outlines these type of things like Angular and uh, Knockout and Gulp and Grunt and Kendo UI and uh, how developers are tackling SharePoint with these uh, JavaScript uh, frameworks and uh, new web technologies and making the SharePoint development experience better and the user experience better. And uh, it's um, it's an eye-opening uh, or a not article, but white paper, at least for me, because I, mm-hmm. I wasn't quite aware that this was happening. Uh, and it seems to be happening, happening in a really big way. Yep, definitely. Like I said, we've got a bunch of check TDN for some of the SharePoint articles, and we've got a four part series coming that's going to talk a lot about this as well, specifically how to use Kendo UI, but also just in general, it's a lot of like using modern web technologies to build SharePoint apps. Yeah. So if you're not a SharePoint developer, but you're, you know, using modern web stuff, uh, this may be another avenue of, uh, you know, finding a career or um, finding extra work, uh, or at least just something interesting to read about just to see how different, a different point of view tackles the same type of problems that you do. Yep. And uh, that, again, leads to another great white paper. So we've got three of these that are just killer. Um, And we're talking about modern web development. You can't talk about modern web development without uh, responsive web design. So there's a white paper um, at telerik.com slash white papers that is uh, must-know techniques for building HTML5 apps for any screen size. Uh, and this white paper is by yours truly. So this is something that I put together. And um, I've been a big fan of responsive web for quite a long time. I've been doing it for poof, since uh, before Bootstrap came out. Uh, I've been doing responsive web. So that's been at least, what, five, six years? Something and like you're that. old, Ed. I know. This is like this is like a millennia in uh, web development times, right? Yeah. Um, so if, uh, you know, I, I don't mean that, um, to down anybody that's not doing it either. Cause there's a lot of folks that are, uh, on projects that are originally meant for desktop only, and they, they haven't had the, uh, opportunity to, uh, get into responsive web and experience, uh, creating an application for, uh, apps that run mobile, desktop, tablet, anywhere, watches, you name it. Uh, so it's it's a little bit of a learning curve if you've come from desktop development and you're tossed into like a brand new greenfield project yeah. or, or something like that where you've got a you've got to target all these screen sizes. Uh, so I put together a white paper for that and um, it talks you about know, uh, sorry, different frameworks ahead. and stuff. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. No, I was going to say I was curious as your thought because. Um, I definitely think there are people who haven't made that move, but at the same time, I also have noticed that we don't talk so much about responsive web design anymore. Um, 
I, I brought this up in uh, something I had to write about because I do that mobile web weekly newsletter. It's like you won't find a lot of articles on responsive web design anymore. It's it's basically any article on web design assumes you're building for mobile now. It is finally, I think, transitioned to where web design and responsive web design are, are one and the same thing. Yeah, it really has gotten there. Um, that's an excellent point. And a lot of the reason for that is because it's gotten a little bit easier with uh, frameworks like um, Bootstrap and Foundation and uh, Telerik has a lot of offerings as well, um, where uh, all of our components like Kendo UI uh, are responsive and uh, they'll adapt to different screen sizes and stuff without the developer having to do additional work uh, to make that happen. Uh, but uh, all these white papers, including the, this one we're talking about, um, of course, there's going to be a mention or two of our products in there, but there's a whole lot of great information in there if you're, if you're not uh, a Progress or Telerik uh, customer. Um, so check those out at uh, telerik.com slash white papers. Get up to speed on all this really cool stuff. So let's go ahead and wrap things up, Brian. We've, we've got a... Uh, tight scheduled and um, just wanted to mention a couple more things before we close out the show. Uh, we've got some uh, great webinars coming up. Um, we've got a Kendo UI webinar uh, that is in the first week of October. Uh, I believe it's going to be October 11th. Uh, so you'll find a sign up, uh, a sign up form for that at kendoui.com. And uh, basically we've released um, an update for Kendo UI, which includes um, some really uh, advanced features for uh, editing or, or inputting data into forms. Um, we've added a couple new controls, like a, we have a, a video or a media player control that's uh, pretty much like having your own YouTube experience uh, with just uh, a couple forms on your page. Uh, great stuff like that. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking a little bit about our beta release of Kendo UI for Angular 2. So don't miss that. Uh, get out to kendoui.com. Uh, look for the links to the upcoming webinar. And then uh, we have a DevCraft webinar coming up as well. So if you're .NET developer and um, you want amazing UI com uh, components or reporting software uh, and many other awesome things that are inside of that DevCraft package. We have a webinar coming up later uh, in the month, and you can find information about that at telerik.com slash devcraft and, uh, or telerik.com slash blogs. We'll be posting in there as well. So we'll, we'll include links to those in the show notes. Uh, we'll have a big show notes page for this one, and uh, you can get all that good uh, information and uh, learning resources uh, Brian, you have anything to add? Uh, nope. Other than if you're in Toronto next week, come see me. If you're in Times Square October 7th or in St. Louis in October 22nd, I'll be at DevUp. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Brian, uh, thanks a lot for uh, coming on the show this week. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Ed. All right. Bye-bye.